Well, I begin this morning uh, by giving you two magnificent words to consider. Substitution and satisfaction. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. As I was uh, reading through Isaiah chapter 53 this week, I chose this as my text because every word is full of meaning of God's riches and the glory and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just full of Christ and Him crucified. So, I don't have a new message for you today. Uh, aren't you glad? There's but one Gospel. Just one. And that's the Gospel we endeavor to preach. If you remember, Isaiah chapter 53 is the portion of Scripture that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading in his chariot. It's the passage in which Philip showed him Christ. And that's my desire this morning, to once again show you Christ. To show you your desperate need of Him. There's nothing else to preach. Christ and Him crucified. That's our message. Look at verse 11 with me. This will be the main verse that we consider. We'll consider many other verses in the chapter, but verse 11 tells us so much about our Lord and it tells us a great deal about ourselves. Verse 11, He, God, shall see the travail of His, Christ's soul, and shall be satisfied. By His knowledge, through His knowledge or the knowledge of Him, shall my righteous servant justify many. For He shall bear their iniquities. So we see that this text speaks of two persons. First, it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, every text does. And secondly, it speaks of many. So we take these two persons in the order that they're given. Christ comes first, for the Scriptures are clear that it's in Him that He in all things has the preeminence. And in this verse, the Lord Jesus is said to possess three glorious and wonderful characteristics. Notice first that God calls Him my righteous servant. He's God's righteous servant. Secondly, God tells us that Christ is His people's sin bearer. Now that'll mean something to you if you see you're a sinner. And thirdly, God tells us that Christ is our justifier. Now this is the glorious gospel news to those who see their need. The many spoken of here who believe and trust in Christ. So first, Christ is God's righteous servant. The Lord served His Father and He did His will. Perfectly, I might add. Not only physically, but spiritually. He is God's righteous servant. Well, what's the significance of that? Well, we have to be justly saved. And only God's righteous servant can justly save us. 
How are we justly saved? Verse 10 tells us that God in the substitution of His Son saw the travail of His soul. What brought about this travail? Sin. Not His sin, but our sin. He made His soul an offering for sin. Our sin. He suffered horribly in body, no doubt. The things that they did to our Lord, so physically was uh, He mistreated that the Scripture says that His visage or His appearance didn't even appear as a man. But friends, His soul went with Him. And what an amazing thing. The labor of Christ's soul. That word travail means ordeal. It means drudgery. It means struggle. It's defined as a painful and laborious effort. Our Lord had tribulation and trouble of soul. The word travail is used to describe the pain of a mother in labor. Jeremiah said, Lord, are not your sorrows as a woman in travail? And you ladies who've had children know a little about that. Not only was He the servant of servants, but He was God's righteous servant. He perfectly fulfilled the law and satisfied the justice of God in much travail. You see, here's the issue. We've offended God. Someone says, you've offended me. Not as we've offended God. Christ is the believer's substitute. But first and foremost, and hear me on this, He was God's substitute for sin. God can by no means clear one who is guilty. So Christ didn't merely die for us, though He did, and that's the glorious glory of the Gospel. But He died for God. Now what do I mean by that? He had to be perfectly righteous to keep the law in our place. God provided Himself a lamb for burnt offering. That's what Abraham told Isaac. And God, the Lord Jesus Himself, was that burnt offering. He provides for Himself the burnt offering. He provides Himself as the burnt offering. We were disobedient servants. People say, well, what about us? Disobedient. And Christ came to fulfill our obedience to the law for us. He is God's righteous servant. How do I know that's what God said right here in our text? And our Lord Himself said, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all of it be fulfilled. Christ rendered full payment unto God for sin. Our sin. And God accepted it in every jot and tittle. Now, most of us are somewhat unfamiliar with a jot and tittles because we don't understand Hebrew. Jot and tittles have to do with letters and pen strokes in the Hebrew language. A jot, which is the tenth 
letter in the Hebrew alphabet is also the, the smallest in pen stroke. If you've ever seen Hebrew writing, you know, just a little, just a little mark. A lot of them is a whole word. It, and it's related to our modern word called iota. You know, we use that word, not one iota. Well, it just simply means a very small amount. And then a tittle is even uh, smaller than a jot. It's a, a letter extension, a very small added pen stroke that differ, differentiates one Hebrew word from another. So what's the significance of that? When our Lord said, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Our Lord was stating emphatically that God's Word is true and it's got to be kept to the smallest detail. God has spoken. His words have been written down accurately. And what God has said in His law will surely come to pass because its fulfillment is inevitable. Even the smallest letter of the law must be fulfilled. Even the smallest pin stroke of the prophets must and will be accomplished. The psalmist wrote, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, every jot and tittle of it. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is what? Guilty of all. People say ridiculous things like, well, I've kept nine out of the ten. Well, you haven't kept any of them. But if you offend one of them, you're guilty of all of them. And in order for you to be and be saved, all the law must be kept. And that's why He's God's righteous servant. He kept it. Every jot and tittle. Every small alphabet is significant. In the law, every I has to be dotted and every T has to be crossed. Only one who is perfectly righteous could accomplish that. And the Lord Jesus Christ is God's righteous servant. You see, there is no other. There is no other. Now, I want to be clear on this. This was or there was or is no one but Christ who could fulfill the law of God's holy and righteous law. There was no sin in his life. None. No sin in himself. We're full of sin. He had none. The prince of this world searched him and found none. And our Lord was without the slightest offense. Word, thought, or deed. Holy, undefiled, and separate from sinners. The most amazing thing is that our Lord voluntarily became obedient to God for His elect. He died the just for the unjust. He was God's righteous servant. And He's our righteous substitute, making Him the only righteous Savior. And friends, God is satisfied with Him. Amen. Isn't that good news? We could not put our sin away. Someone had to put it away for us. There's only one that can. 
So we're shut up to the mercy and grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is more wonderful than the fact that God became a man and then as a man, He bore the sin and iniquity of His people. Some may ask, where's the doctrine of substitution found in the Scriptures? Where's it not found? You take it out of the Bible, what's left? It's the theme and the message of the Bible. God stood in the sinner's place. And in Isaiah 53, it's seen over and over again. Look at verse 4. Surely He, Christ, hath borne our griefs. That's substitution. Surely He, Christ, hath carried our sorrows. That's substitution. Verse 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. What is that? A substitution. He was stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. The chastisement, the correction for our peace was on Him. And by His stripes, we were healed. What is that? Substitution. And God is satisfied with Him. Aren't those two glorious words? Verse 6, the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Doesn't all here mean all in the world? No, it means all of us. All of us who believe. Verse 9, He, Christ, made His grave with the wicked. Let me let you in on something if you don't already know it. We're the wicked. He made His grave with us. Verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Why? For us. <laughs> Substitution. His soul was made an offering for sin. Not his sin, but ours. Substitution. The pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand, and I might add nowhere else. It won't prosper in your hand. God was angry with us every day. But God prospers us who believe spiritually in Christ. Again, verse 11, by the travail of His Christ, so He, God, shall be satisfied. God is satisfied with Christ. Yes, well, you've already said that. I'm going to say it a bunch more times. And He's satisfied with Christ. And here's the great news. He's satisfied with us in Him. Yes, sir. Amen. Isn't that something? He shall justify many. He shall bear their iniquities. The whole world? No. Those in the world He died for. Verse 12, He poured out His soul unto death. The death that you and I deserved. The wages of our sin is death. Death for the body and death for the soul. And He was numbered with the transgressors. That's me and you. He bore the sin of many, those who believe. He made intercession for the transgressors, you and me. That's who He did these things for. And it's called substitution. And God is satisfied with His sacrifice for sin. Well, this whole blessed book's about substitution and how God is satisfied. When did Christ bear all our sin? Well, before the foundation of the world. He was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. 
When he stood before Pilate and Herod, he bore our sins at their at the judgment seat of them. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And the scripture says, yet he opened not his mouth. Pilate uh, said, Don't you know who I am? I have the power. Well, stop right there, Mr. Pilate. Thou couldst have no power at all against me, the Lord said, except it were given thee from above. The Lord was silent because He stood guilty in our place. And He was the very one who gave Pilate this authority that Pilate claimed to have. In this our Lord was numbered with the transgressors. When did our Lord bear all the sins of His people? Well, certainly on the cross of Calvary. When and where His soul was made an offering for sin. That's why He's there. No man took His life from Him. He laid it down. He went to the cross willingly and on purpose. Why? To be our substitute and to satisfy God. He, His own self, bore our sins where? In His own body on the tree. He was His people's sin bearer. Up to the time He said, it's finished. And friends, He bore sin no longer. Because it's finished, Tom. It's finished. Now you think about that. The way in which God is pleased to save us from our sin is by laying our sins on His beloved Son. Making Him to suffer for those sins that were not His own. It's called substitution. And God is satisfied. Why would God choose such a way? To satisfy His own justice. If you and I were in hell forever, divine justice would have never been satisfied. There would still remain an eternity of debt due to God and His holy justice by us. If God had annihilated all the sinners that ever lived with one stroke of justice, He would not have honored the justice as if as He did when He took sin and laid it on His beloved Son. What glory God gets in that. What glory our Lord gets in that. But rejoice, God's satisfied because His Son bore the divine wrath which was due to that sin. That being our sin. And only God's Son could satisfy divine justice. Can't you see why He's God's righteous servant? He suffered what we should have suffered. And now God's law stands in all its honor and integrity. The penalty's been executed. The price has been paid. The wages have been paid. The sword has awaked against the shepherd. That sword that should have executed you and me. How can a sinner not delight in Christ being their substitute? Mr. Spurgeon once said, if I had been told that an angel had done his best to save me, I'd still feel unsafe. And if I had been told that all the holy men throughout all time, uh, all in the world, had strived to save me, I'd still feel insecure. But when the very Christ of God Himself bore my iniquities, what shall I fear? 
What should we fear? God Himself died in our room instead. And God satisfied with the sacrifice of Himself. The omnipotent Savior, the Almighty Deliverer, can surely put away sins. Our Lord Jesus said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book as it is written to me. I delight to do Thy will, O God. Yea, Thy law is in my heart. And of course it was. He wrote it. It was His law. And then He adds this, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. And that's exactly what came to pass. Everything God purposes comes to pass. Perish the thought that God simply made salvation possible and that He needs some help from you. No works of ours make salvation effectual. Christ from the foundation of the world made it so. Before you and I were ever born, before we ever done any good or evil, no works of ours, it just muddies the waters, friends. It just leavens the whole lump. Men and women need to study the Bible. Why, this is the cord of Christ's scarlet blood that binds this book together, declaring that He is the only way that God could justly save His people from sin. The law has got to be satisfied. God's justice has to be appeased. He's the only way. All that God required of me, I'm going to say it again, Shelley. All that God required of me, He provided for me. That's substitution. And that's satisfaction. God cannot save apart from His holy justice being satisfied. Our sin was such enmity that God must punish it. That's why God bruised him. And it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It was the only way that God could put away our sin and satisfy His own law and justice. Man claims, man's claim of a free will, a choice, a decision, is it's enmity. Do you hear me? The word means hostility. It's being hostile toward God against the God who provided for us what we never could provide for ourselves. And it's an attempt to rob God of His glory, that, that, that glory that He will not give to another. Listen, God is not going to share His glory with you in anything, especially the glory of His salvation. Not going to do it. Statements like, well, I may not be perfect, but I'm not all that bad. I'm telling you, things like that will forever ring in the ears of those in hell for eternity. It's not about being bad. It's not about being good. It's about being perfect, holy, and righteous. And one day men and women are going to stand before God claiming all the good things that we've done. Well, haven't we done many good, wonderful work? Well, I was a preacher. I laid hands on the sick and they recovered. I cast out devils. I never knew you. You were never mine. Those who trust in their works need not change their minds. They've got to change their God. The God of the Bible, the God that I am attempting to declare to you this morning, 
through this passage of Scripture is the true God and there's none beside Him. None. None. He's so holy, righteous, perfect, and pure. The heavens are not pure in His sight. Job 25.5 God is so holy that He charged His holy angels with folly. Job 4.18 So then what hope do you and I have of appeasing God? Christ in you is the hope of glory, the hope of salvation. The blood-washed church, now hear me, is pure. There never be any folly charged to her. Her righteousness is the righteousness of her Creator. His purity is the holiness. Her purity, I mean the churches, is the holiness of God Himself. And now, the true church of God can rest in the work of Christ where they have no sin to fret over. It's all been laid on Christ and put away by Him. I've heard it said all my life that if something seems to be too good to be true, then it's probably not true. Well, that holds true most of the time. But the Gospel is too good not to be true. That's what makes it good news because salvation's of the Lord. And if we search our hearts and ask God, we'll see that. We'll see that there's not anything that we could do that would appease God. It's got to be perfect and be accepted. We've never done anything good. There's none that doeth good. So we've certainly never done anything perfect. But now there's nothing that makes me dread an angry God. There's no righteous anger against me or toward anyone who is sinless. And that's what we are in Christ. God's righteous servant. No matter how it seems to you, it's true. And the third characteristic of our Lord Jesus, He's God's righteous servant. He's the sin bearer. The third is that He is the justifier. By His knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for He shall bear their iniquities. So the question of the hour, the question of every hour, is do you know Christ? What do you think of Christ? It's not because you found Him. It's not because you chose Him. He said, you've not chosen Me, but I've chosen you and ordained you unto good work. It's not because you decided to make Him Lord. He is the Lord. He's always been Lord. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. The sinner's choice and decision are mentioned. The sinner's work and worth is non-existent. Christ is Himself the cause of justification. He is both just and the justifier. We have to be as just as God is. We can't be, so He justifies justifies us. He's the justifier. We're saved. If we are saved by works, I said this in the first hour. Somebody asked me that one time. Well, you don't believe in works? And I said, oh no, I believe in works. But it's not our work. It's the perfect work of righteousness that Christ has wrought for us. And it distinguishes who God saves. You know, I'm so thankful you've heard this before and, and it's not original with me. Not much is. Except sin. But uh, I'm thankful for that little letter, letter M 
Not any, but many. He shall most certainly and assuredly justify many. Not all, but many. Not any, but many. It's Christ's delight to take a sinner, lift him from the dunghill, from the mire clay, and lift him up and set him among princes. Why? Because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many. He alone makes me just. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. All who God foreknew can be assured that they will be conformed to the image of God's son. In other words, if God knew you from the foundation of the world, if God called you and chooses you, you're going to be conformed to the image of son. You're going, God's Son. You're going to be just like Him. Isn't that what the Scriptures say? When we see Him, we'll be just like Him? That's because of substitution and satisfaction. Verse 1 asks, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? That being Christ. Well, this answers it. Those that He foreknew. Those that He predestinated. Those that He calls by the Gospel. Those are the ones that He justifies. Now that's what God says. That's what the Scriptures say. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, many, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? <laughs> My mom and dad didn't have much. I was their only child. and uh, But everything they had was mine. And friends, everything God has is yours. And though there are many, we all get the same thing. We get, we get it all. <laughs> Who is He that condemneth? It's Christ that died. Yea, rather that's risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, also making intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing or no one. All these questions can be answered with the same answer. Because of Christ. He shall justify many. This is God's glory. This is Christ's delight. This is the fullness of God's satisfaction. In Christ, God is satisfied. And He's not only satisfied with Him, but He's satisfied with me. God is satisfied with Him and us who are in Him. What glorious words, substitution and sacrifice and satisfaction. That's what this book declares. This book's God's Word. This is from the very mouth of God Himself. God is satisfied with Christ, and you know what? So am I. <laughs> I'm satisfied that He alone can save me. I don't have, I'm happy about that. I'm satisfied that His righteousness is now mine. I'm satisfied 
with Him and I have no desire to look anywhere else to anyone else. I'm convinced and I rest in that blessed hope. His people's salvation was the joy that was set before Him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I've asked you this question enough times, you know the answer. Why did He sit down? Because His work finished. It's finished. Now I've given you three characteristics of Christ in the text and allow me to spend just, just a few minutes longer on what this verse tells us about ourselves. Three things also. First, there are these many needed justification. A man or woman's brought before a, a court of justice. They're, they are justified and reckoned just or innocent if they're proved not to be guilty. But you and I, before the court of God's holy justice, are all guilty. God doesn't need any proof. He knows what we are. Justification cannot come to us that way. Our justification can only come one way. We're back to that again. Isn't, that, isn't it amazing how simple the Gospel is? One Gospel, one Lord, one Spirit, one Christ. One way to be saved. What is that way? God says, I laid that sinner's sin upon Christ. I punished Christ for that sinner and that sinner and that sinner and that sinner. Many of them. He's not guilty. Mercy said, let that sinner go free. Because he's not a sinner, he's a saint. And I made him so as his substitute. And my father is satisfied. They're not what they once were by nature. They, they're what their substitute made them to be. That's what a substitute is. That's what a substitute does. So when God's justice calls for me, a sinner undone, I don't have to answer. I have an advocate with the Father that answers for me. Why? Because Christ answered on my behalf before I was ever born and He died for me as the Lamb slain before the world ever began. Before time ever was. You ask someone when they were saved, well... The best answer we can give is I was saved, I am saved, and I'm continuing to be saved. And no legal charge that can be brought against one who trusts in Christ because Christ has stood in their place. What's it called? Substitution. What is God? He's satisfied. Christ was punished in my stead and I've been discharged of my crimes as if He was me. And as if I was Him. What's that? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You see, it's not my faith that saves me. It's His. It's not my work that saves me but His. It's not my righteousness that pardons me. It's His. 
the Lord laid on Him our iniquities. We're so guilty that we were born condemned. He that believeth not is what? Condemned already. And if we had remained as we were, we would have not been nothing but the children of wrath, even as others. But the Gospel, the good news, is this. Christ came to justify the ungodly. But God commendeth His love toward us. There's that word again, the many. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly, Romans 5-6. The Redeemer died for those who have been made to see that they had no righteousness of their own. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. Christ came to bring a righteousness to those that don't have any. How about that? Isn't that wonderful? He came to give them His righteousness and take upon Him their sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Oh, the wonders of divine grace. If you want justification, you can have it. You can have it. Those who desire it are the very ones He came to justify. Isn't that right? Secondly, this verse speaks of the sinners that are instructed and made to know. It says, By the knowledge of Him shall my righteous servant justify many. You know, when the soul learns of Christ, knows Him, believes Him, trusts Him, then that soul's justified. Nothing else for us to do. No feelings involved in the matter. I've heard many, even some of you, say, I don't feel saved. It doesn't matter what you feel. I'm not trying to be cute. It doesn't matter what you feel. All the fitness that God requires is that you feel your need of Him. That's it. Are you a needy sinner? The heart understands by the hearing of the Word, the Word preached, and through the hearing of Christ, this wicked heart comes to believe on Him. And when the heart knows Christ and believes in Christ, that sinner is justified. It's by His knowledge. They're all taught of God. Every one of you have been taught of God. Only God can teach you. By that knowledge, He justifies many. It's not the knowledge that Moses brought. It's the knowledge that Christ brought. Whosoever believes on Him is what? Not condemned. Salvation comes by knowing and believing. Not by doing Where in the Bible is it says that salvation comes by something we do? Not by works of righteousness that we have done. That's pretty plain. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. By the law is the knowledge of sin. God gave His law to show us what we were. Not to keep in order to be saved, but to see that we need Him in order to be saved. Grace and peace come by Jesus Christ. And our justification comes to us through knowing Him, by being made to know that through Him we're justified. I'm justified. I don't say that with my chest stuck out and my chin up. I say it humbly with my head bowed. I'm justified. Christ justified me. 
He gave His life for me that I might be justified. He reconciled me to a thrice holy God whom I could not appease. And God is satisfied. What a wondrous thought. And thirdly, I'm going to leave you on a good note. He shall justify them. Not all, but many. What a wondrous thought. He shall justify them. He shall. Not He might. He will. He shall. And you say, well, Brother David, I see that my sin is real. What I want you to see is that the justification that you need is real. That thief that hung on the cross next to the Lord Jesus. There were two of them. The Lord saved one of them and passed by the other. And you know that one that, that, that believed on Christ? He hung on the cross as a just man. Well, put Him on the cross. Sin and crimes and maybe even murder. Who knows? But He's a just man. He's a just man as He hung there as long as there's still breath in the lungs. It's not too late. Did that thief profess Christ? Yes, he most certainly did. He called Him Lord. He knew He had a heavenly kingdom. He said, the day when you enter your kingdom, I won't be with you. And the Lord said, you shall be because you're a just man because I'm your substitute and my God is satisfied with you. Was he baptized? No, but he would have been if he could have been. He's, he's just not because of anything that he's done. He was just because he believed in the dying Savior. And you and me, the poor sinners that we are, never having done a good work in our lives, deserving of hell throughout all eternity, the ballast of the vow, the chief of sinners, if we trust our soul to Christ, we too are justified. And we're justified forever. His love, mercy, and grace are everlasting. None can charge us with the sin because it's God that justifies. None can condemn us. It's Christ that died and is risen again. Our salvation is 100% dependent on what Christ has done. None can separate us from His love, that love that's in Christ Jesus, that everlasting love. That's God's good news. That's God's Gospel for no man could have invented it. We can't come up with this. God has laid the weight of my guilt on my substitute and He bore it. He made an end of it. And God is what? Satisfied. Before God, you stand justified. Not by works of righteousness you've done, but according to His mercy, He saved you. Is this your hope? It's all my hope. Then you know and believe that you're not justified by the works of the law, right? You no, know, I'm not justified by the works of the law. I can't do what the law requires. And how are you justified? By the faith of Jesus Christ. Not my faith in Him. It's fickle. It's up and down. It's strong today and gone tomorrow. The faith of Christ. His faithfulness to me, not mine to Him.
Isn't that something to rejoice in? Because God caused us to believe in Jesus Christ. And what do we always say? May God be pleased to make it so. For His glory, our good, and for Christ's sake. I sure appreciate your attention. I hope that has helped you. You sure was to me. (laughs)